Yo, welcome to my summer layer. I am Sammy Union, and I'm switching up the standard program with this episode. I am on location at the Blood in the Snow Film Festival Media Day. Unfolding over six nights, Blood in the Snow is a showcase of contemporary Canadian horror, genre, and underground cinema. It's tons of fun. Blood in the Snow and Toronto After Dark, those are Toronto's two best film festivals. Even though we're kind of known for TIFF, the Toronto Film Festival, yeah, whatever. Uh, it's just celebrity nonsense. Let's get into the good stuff. First up is an interview with the filmmakers behind Dead Dicks. As the witty, though darkly humorous title implies, Dead Dicks is a movie with a splash of horror, but like modern horror. Mixed in with like your classic family drama, addressing topics of dependency, identity, and mental illness. This is the first feature from the Montreal-based duo Chris Pavoda and Lee Paula Springer, who I talked to about this unusual movie. I'd say more about Dead Dicks, but I'll let them do the talking. This is a cool, weird movie. Beaming from Pacific Junction Hotel to Earth. Hello. You guys have um, Dead Dicks playing at uh, Blood in the Snow. Yes. Rather than me asking you uh, what the movie is about, let's start off the beginning, which is that Becca gets a call from her suicidal brother, Richie, and she shows up to his apartment, and what is it that she sees? Uh, well, first she finds his um, dead body after uh, he's died by suicide. Uh, but then just seconds later, she finds um, him also alive and well and uh, stark naked and eating a bowl of cereal. And she quickly learns that throughout the night he's attempted or successfully killed himself multiple times, but also has been kind of reborn. Mm -hmm. And he's uncertain as to what's going on, as is she. And so they spend the night trying to discover exactly what this phenomenon is and why. Um, so it's really just about like a brother and sister trying to deal with this fantastical thing that is happening, but really dealing with each other. Um, yeah. So introduce yourselves and tell me what would you do if you f suddenly found out you were now immortal? Oh my gosh. Uh, my name is Chris Bavoda. I'm a co-writer, co-director, co-producer uh, of Dead Dicks. Um, and if I was immortal, I don't know how I'd react. I'd probably be sad at first because I'd just be like, nothing really matters anymore. Oh, I feel the opposite. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm Lee. I'm a co-writer, co-director, co-producer. Uh, I'm kind of a scary cat in life, so I'd probably be like, all right, I'll try paragliding and also jumping out of a plane and all the things I would never do normally. But then it would quickly become boring because you would do all those things and then you still know you have thousands of years left. Yeah. But possibly <laughs> alone on this dead planet. Like, what's the first thing? Not what is yeah. the arc Eternal of the sadness. <laughs> That's it, okay. So you're crying. Pick up on that theme of crying. Yeah. Uh, this film picks up on that theme of mental illness. Kind mm -hmm. of like, is it kind of like a metaphor where like there's all these dead parts of him that's around him and he has no real way out? Well, yeah, I think what we were attempting to accomplish was it was a subject that was close to us. This is a very personal film, as weird and wacky as it is. Um, but we really wanted to use the kind of like surreal elements to just play off of the idea of the complexity of mental illness and how it really affects the mind of the person suffering through it but those also who are the support structure of those people and that sometimes you know like partnering or being with someone who is suffering through something like that and you start to become a part of what they're going through 
And in our film, it's like we, we use this kind of weird, fantastical rebirth thing as an expression of the, the issues that he's suffering through and how the sister just becomes absorbed into that. You know, like, so uh, it's not really a metaphor as, as a, just as kind of like a, a way to express possibly how Richie sees the world and how people with mental illness might be suffering with these wild things that are happening to them, you know, and just like, I don't know. I also think that um, as I myself have had uh, struggles with depression and uh, that it can be kind of a cycle that there it sort of can, you know, it'll be a, a period of your life. Maybe, you know, you work through it, you, you get help. And then, you know, maybe a few years later, you're like, oh, I'm here again. Mm. This is it again. And, and there's um, a, a section in the film where he sort of talks about, you know, I have some hope that like maybe this time there's going to be this better version. Yeah. And you're like, oh, it's just me. Yeah. It's just it just keeps being yeah. Me. Well, I mean, the dicks also flies a little bit to the uh, to the uh, neighbor as well, <laughs> right? Because sometimes it's hard for people who don't have the illness, right, to kind of deal with the people, and they lose patience or like yep. you're doing this again. It's like a child having a tantrum, right? yeah. Like, yeah. why are you doing this and again? Like, I thought you were like quote, unquote, better or cured or. <laughs> and, and 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 just as you know, uh, you have if you you don't choose to have diabetes, but you have a responsibility to take your mm -hmm. insulin. Um, you don't choose to have your mental illness and there is a component of sometimes some of the stuff we say or do or, or we are not thinking of how it may be affecting our loved ones or our neighbors or whatever that we also have the fallout and the shame mm. kind of, of that as well. Yeah, because it's yeah. like you feel like you're broken or not normal or whatever mm -hmm. the term is, right? Like, yeah. yeah. That's why I was asking if it's a metaphor because like he real Richie realized like what's happening in his apartment is not normal. Yeah. Well, it's the first time, I guess, that someone is able to understand what he's going through because it's, it's physically manifesting itself. But once again, the way we talk about the film sometimes is, is it actually happening? What is really going on in the apartment? There are many ways you could interpret it differently. And so I think it's when people come and see us after the film, a lot of people have ideas of what we're trying to say mm -hmm. or why we chose you know, an asshole or a vagina on a yeah. wall, <laughs> which we, we termed the vaginus uh, during production. Oh, nice. Yeah, and, um, you know, like what that really signifies and the, the idea of birth, what that signifies. But in, in, for us, it was like this was actually kind of meant to be literal, and then we could discuss the reasons behind it or, like, what we're really trying to say afterwards because we might succeed or fail at what we're attempting to do, but we'll always have the literal thing of like, it's just a hole on a wall that poops out a new person, you right. know, like. Yeah, but also just this idea of, you know, a lot of like dealing with other people's messes, cleaning up his mess. I yeah. mean, what, you know, just pushed all the way to the, the end mm -hmm. of that. Yeah, in one day, it's like she's, we've talked about everything that happens to her in this one night might not be what's happening to her in this one night. It actually, this, this night is her dealing with all of the things that has happened with her and her brother. The multiple times he has attempted suicide and then the final time he has succeeded, you know, like, but it's all no condensed, spoilers. no spoilers, but it's all condensed into this one evening for her. Correct. So is it memories? Is it, you know, like, factual with with the occurrences and stuff like that so like we, we really played with the idea that maybe things that happen are so weird because they're not really happening it's just how people are either perceiving it or remembering it and so it doesn't always have to have an explanation yeah 
In terms of playing on IMDb, there's some trivia, and it says that Becca is accepted to Con Gerber University. Yeah. And is that an anagram of David Cronenberg? Yes. There's a lot of influences of uh, David Cronenberg in our film. Like even uh, at one point, Richie comes out of the bedroom just wearing boxer shorts and uh, a sports coat, and that's exactly what Jeremy Irons wears in uh, or Jeremy yeah in. Uh, Dead Ringers, and because there's tons of doubling in our film, we actually watched Dead Ringers a lot to try and understand how he pulled off a lot of the doubling effects. And so it had such a huge influence on us and the body horror aspect of it. And so being able to kind of like just sneak little things in about him, we thought would be cute. Mm -hmm. And because this is dealing with mental illness, do you guys then classify this as a horror film then? Or how does it... Uh... <laughs> uh, it's sort of genre bending to me. I always called it a black comedy. Yeah. yeah, and I always call it a horror film, but we've been told recently that it's actually a science fiction piece. So, or a drama, or a drama. yeah. Kind of... I think it really goes... It's, it's a part of its genre in all aspects of it, where there are elements of science fiction, there are elements of horror, but deep down it's just a, a, a heartfelt drama about a brother and sister who are dealing with this mental illness and the struggles. Yeah, with tons of dick jokes and like, you know, of a Janus on a wall. And so like, I, I, I think it's a horror movie because when we were writing the story, I'm just like, it's gonna leave the audience feeling very unsettled as to what they just witnessed and to me that's what horror movies do mm -hmm. they unsettle you now sometimes they scare you sometimes they push boundaries of violence and stuff like that and our film doesn't do that but it does leave you unsettled as to what you just witnessed because perhaps you just witnessed what it is like to not only suffer from mental illness but love someone who is suffering from it or just seen a vaginas yeah exactly yeah, yeah. Exactly. that's very unsettling or yeah. the horror of having a horrible name yeah yeah exactly <laughs> lee often jokes about the sequel being just from matt's perspective yeah. we just like replay the whole night from his perspective and he becomes a hero mm -hmm. all right there you go so there's some possibilities <laughs> you guys are married so how does that work in terms of uh, directing well, I think a lot of people, to be frank, were quite nervous when they came on board. Um, already two directors, is how's that going to work? And also that we're, we've been married for like almost a decade. And then, you know, were there, was there going to be like a lover's quarrel yeah. on set? But um, we find that we work, we work best as a couple when we have a project together. So we're very much in sync on the day. And we got some very good advice um, from some uh, filmmakers who work in duos. Or yeah, and so... We, we called up a friend of ours in Montreal. There's a group called RKSS, and it's three people who have been directing films together for probably a decade as well. And we were like, how do you divide it on set? And they just told us what they did, and we just tried to emulate that. And so Lee spent a lot of time with the actors. I spent a lot more time with the camera department and the, and the crew. And then we would always just like come together, discuss something, and then split and try and attack it from two sides. And it ended up allowing us to make this movie in 10 days, even though it had a lot of intense visual effects because of the doubling, some stunts, some weird practical effects. But we blasted through 10 to 11 pages a day. And Oh, I, I came to at the end because it was my first time directing that I thought, how on earth does anybody do this by themselves? It's like such a huge job mm -hmm. that I was so glad there were two of us. Yeah, we were we were on two different levels too because we were shooting in this apartment building oh, where yes, we had the main apartment upstairs and downstairs there was a fully gutted apartment and that's where we held the cast and the crew and then we built some fake sets to like do the coming out of the wall and this other stuff. Um, and so sometimes I'd be downstairs 
helping plan something else while Lee was upstairs directing, or she would be downstairs planning something where I was upstairs and directing. So we were able to really get a lot more accomplished because there was two of us. Right. Which, again, is, I guess, the theme of the movie, right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. And so where can people find you online to see Dead Dicks? Oh, right now, Dead Dicks is still just doing the festival tour. Um, right after this, we're going to be going down to Austin for the U.S. premiere. Yeah, Other Worlds Film That's a Festival. Great festival. Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, from there, we're going to San Francisco for another hole in the head. And um, it played in Helsinki just a few days ago, and then it was in Leeds. And we were, I was in um, Lausanne, Switzerland, and then the two of us were in Manchester. So it's been touring around the world, and we've been really feeling very lucky about the response from the audience. Um, but we, we just uh, signed with a sales agent, yep. uh, Devilworks from the UK, uh, who specializes in a lot of sort of uh, smallish indie mm. uh, genre films. So we're hopeful that you know they know better than us like how to kind of push this thing yeah, forward. Yeah, and then maybe soon we'll learn about where it might be coming out, whether on VOD or streaming services or physical media. Haha. <laughs> 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 but um, yeah. All right. Thanks, guys, for hanging out. Thanks to you for the movie. Oh, thank uh, you so much. You're having fun at Blood in the Snow. You mentioned some of the other film festivals you're going to. You're having fun at the Blood in the Snow so uh, far? Yeah, Blood in the Snow has a real special place in our hearts because I've been coming to this festival for about six or seven years. I had a short that I produced and wrote uh, in 2012, I think, called Never Tear Us Apart that screened here. And then a few years ago, we were here with Even the Darkness Has Arms. And uh, Kirk and, and Kelly have been super supportive of us. And every time they come and to Jen. Montreal... Yeah, they, we hang out, and so I've, I've always been talking about this festival, about how supportive it is of filmmakers, whether you do shorts, features, now web series and stuff like that, and how they bring all filmmakers together on the same level, and it's just kind of very um, welcoming to kind of be treated that way, you know. I also think just like really having the guts to be like it's all Canadian. Yeah. Like that is to me really something. Genre film it has a huge place in Canadian history, Canadian film history, and I, I just think it's it's a wonderful festival. I yep. can't mm -hmm. say enough about it. Yep. Thank you all so right. much, Sam. Yeah. No, thank you. Merci. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Merci. <laughs> bye bye. All right, so that was Dead Dicks. Please check that out. Another movie doing the festival circuit is magic. Spelled M-A-J-I-C, magic. And it is magic. This is my jam. If you're into alternative and speculative stories, the current Man in High Castle, where the Allies lost World War II and the Nazis won, it's incredible, and it's on Amazon Prime as we speak, then you'll dig magic. The basic premise is this. An anti-conspiracy video blogger, vlogger, I guess, thinks she is slipping into an alternative reality after being approached by an old man claiming to have worked on the legendary Majestic 12, a.k.a. Magic, the covert U.S. spy agency created after the UFO incident at Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. Oh, classic Roswell. So, yo, I know, for all these speculative movies to work, you have to provide a disturbing alternative reality. Like in the Watchmen comic books, where President Nixon has served four terms. And Magic delivers not only a solid alternative reality, but the ending, the ending is Twilight Zone worthy and not just outstanding. Smuggle in a cup of tea if you can when you watch this one. You'll need it to sort through all the different threads. For Magic, I talked to Paula Brancati, who you might have seen in Slasher or Being Erica, and Aaron Berry, the director, who I so wanted to hug, but I kept it professional. We, we'll never get credit for the things we didn't do, you know? Here's my interview with both of them. 
Okay, so welcome to Blood in the Snow. How's it going so far? Thanks. Great. Fantastic. Very warm welcome, even though it's a snow title. Oh, bad, guys. I need a second coffee. <laughs> so give us a breakdown of uh, the, the film. I have to take that one? Well, what's it, what's it about? You wrote it. <laughs> just, I, my, you know, okay, my log line. I to, yeah, I, I'll riff on it. Okay. Um, <laughs> the film takes place in 2008. Mm -hmm. Paula, uh, who is the uh, much nicer voice for <laughs> who is a skeptical uh, uh, blogger. She's just on this new platform called YouTube, which has just emerged. And she basically creates videos that debunk various conspiracy theories that are you know, at their infancy within the internet at that time. In the first scene, she meets an old man who claims that he was part of Magic, or Majestic 12, or the Men in Black, like the Will Smith, the uh, Jones movies. Um, and at first she doesn't believe him, but then starts to find evidence that maybe what he was selling is true, and sort of goes down a weird rabbit hole uh, where she starts to question her own skepticism. So was this inspired by like Twilight Zone or Coast to Coast or what? Um, I, I think obviously there's there's an X Files influence there. I, I was a big fan of the original series back in the back in the '90s, and that sort of was this formulation for the uh, for the character for whom the car plays was sort of envisioning her as sort of a young Dana Scully. She's a young skeptic who you know doesn't believe all the nonsense that sorts of you know that is out there. You know, she's the anti-Mulder. But then, sort of, it comes that character, it comes the opposite of that, which is supposed to believe in some of the things that she's uh, Yeah. And for, what about for you? How did this come into your life? Aaron and I were buddies because we worked on um, Slasher for Netflix for the last couple of seasons, and he told me he had this script and that the role of Pippa was originally written for a middle-aged man. And it's funny, we didn't have to do much to switch it, which I think is a really interesting exercise. I actually heard, I believe it was Sandra Bullock said the same thing about gravity, that it was written originally for a man. And when they flipped it for her, it, there weren't many changes that had to be had, but inherently there was a different lens that you were seeing this story through. So that, that really interested me. And certainly getting to talk with Aaron through the development process about the script, the character, the casting. I was really delighted to get to work with Deb McGrath, who I'd been a fan of for so long, with Mike Cedar, who's one of my best friends. So the, all those things really appealed to me. Um, and I'd never really worked in the genre before. So, you know, getting into um, the X-Files reference and, and getting to kind of dive deep into the, a kind of character that I'd never done was exciting. And also someone who wasn't in any way a romantic love interest that sort of wasn't sexualized. That really appealed to me at this point in my in my career. Yeah. So introduce yourselves and tell me if you believe in aliens or not. Well, I'm Paula Brancati and I had a UFO Believer Club when I was in grade four and I was convinced they were flying around in my window. I actually also read something that they came out of the sewers. I was trying to get people on board. No one believed me. And then I kind of just, I gave it up. I retired. So I guess I would say I'm a... Uh, Believe-ish. Okay. Uh, <laughs> my name is Aaron Barry. I'm the co-writer and director of Magic. I um, I am definitely not a believer, although I have to say, and this is weird, I, when I saw E.T. as a kid, and I probably was like 12 years old, it scared the crap out of me, and I was actually, I, I was having nightmares actually really? about a week, convinced that aliens were going to come, and they weren't going to be nice and friendly, M&M <laughs> eating, <laughs> they were going to eat me, and... Yeah. 
I don't know. That, that, the movie somehow traumatized me. I watch it now and I go like, how is this traumatizing? I think, yeah, I don't know. Uh, so, but not, not, I'm not a believer now that I'm an adult and I no longer sleep with the light on you know, since I turned since mm-hmm. 30. I, I don't believe that aliens are coming out yet and I don't believe they exist. Okay, fair enough. Um, a couple of the things that you guys reference in the movie, like the JFK assassination, uh, the Roswell incident, are these kind of gateway conspiracy theories? Like, if you start to go down this road, do they slide into the other... Yes. I found uh, that they did. Yeah, a lot of, I mean, we, we've, we've built a lot of the script based on real conspiracies. So yeah. we're taking things that are out there in the in the, in the the ether of conspiracy lore and sort of played with them. You know, the whole idea of gray, the Grey's aliens and the, 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 uh, the reptilians. This is all part of, of UFOs, lore... But there's a lot of factual stuff in there as well. Like I was, I was just talking about the the, the he talks about he uh, Anderson's character how he was part of manned orbiting laboratory, which was a real thing that the Air Force was going to use Gemini spy capsules and create a space station and spy on the Soviet. That was all real. Most people don't know that sort of history of NASA and aerospace. But so there's a lot of factual stuff mixed in with sort of. The, the fantastical stuff that we can do. So. Yeah. And for you, Paula, the, the scenes with Fishburne, the chess scenes. Yeah. Did that kind of bring you back to your UFO club and just kind of having those discussions? Oh, and- I'm so glad you asked, because not only did I have a UFO club, but I was also in the chess club. I was kicked out in grade four as well for cheating. I tried to help the, I didn't know I was cheating, but I tried to help the other school win, and I knew a four, um, a four move checkmate. So also, uh, well, to Simon show at our DP's um, dismay, he was freaking out because it wasn't it wasn't quite lining up every take. And, it was uh, actually his chess set that I had taken yeah. the week before, and he was actually upset because he's trying to teach his <laughs> five year old to play chess, and he's like, "I need my chess set back." And I was like, well, "We're shooting the scene," so he would he was the one that was sort of arranging like the Thank actual final. God. Was his, he set up the movie, he was like, we'll do this. So he did, which was good. He was a bit of a prodigy when he was younger, so he took his chest very seriously. I wasn't making him proud, but I will say those scenes are some of the most fun, because I, I think having a prop sort of between them gives something gives something else to focus on for them, and, and it also just speaks to how off the cuff this kind of conversation is for her. Um, and I really love her friendship with Fishburne and with, with Trexpor in the movie, because she sort of is an oddball and, and doesn't quite know how to connect on a really tender level with people, but she likes to connect on information she super gets off on. Yeah, so, and, and even know. though I've written, wrote, written and directed the film and seen it so many times, the second scene with, where she goes back to Fishburne is still my favorite scene. Mm-hmm. I love that scene too. Thanks, man. Anand was so, it was really fired up. I and that, I love that scene so much. Yeah. Every time, that's the only part of it I really like. Oh, I'm depressed. Well, let's watch that scene and I'll feel better about myself. Well, it's interesting because, like, it's got the, it's got the dichotomy, right? Because he's playing chess, so you got, you know, he's certain, like, a certain level of intelligence. That's right. But then the stuff he says, we're like, how does that square? Yeah. That's what's so interesting about, I think all the characters are so interesting in the movie. Her friend. So she goes to him when I'm in a certain conspiracy and wants the inside of the Totally. Yeah. So where, where can people find this online now if they want to see it? Or what's the... Um, I have a sales agent in place, and we're hoping that we'll be on some VOD platform in 2020. But at this point, um, if you happen to be on the Friday, November okay. 29th, it will screen. And you, Paula, you mentioned Slasher. For people that don't know, yeah. Absolutely. It was uh, created by uh, our good friend Aaron Martin, who I worked with on Being Erica, and it's a standalone uh, anthology show. Each season is about a different uh, murderer, 
and I had the pleasure of being in two seasons. So much like American Crime Story or American Horror Story, well, yeah, both do that. We're like bring back the same company of actors sometimes, and we get to play very different characters. So season three, two, and one are all on Netflix right now, and uh, they're super gory, and it's another genre I never got to work in before then. But um, when you have friends that imagine characters for you, like Aaron Barry and Aaron Martin. They see things for you that you didn't quite see for yourself, so that's been a real a real pleasure to be a part of the last couple of years. Is this something you want to kind of continue doing, doing more genre stuff? Because even being Erica is kind yeah. of like a weird Thanks for saying that. It is sci-fi. It is sci-fi. It's, totally. like, it's like rom-com sci-fi, I found. Yeah. And I yeah. I do because I, I really enjoy the how niche it is. I also think the fans are so passionate about it, and it it's exciting to work in. I think, I think also to the thing I mentioned um, in that I think, a lot of women. I mean, Orphan Black. Sorry, Orphan Black is another is another show, obviously that is, that I love so much. And I think you have the opportunity there to see so many female characters that aren't only servicing the story as love interest. There might be love and romance, but you get to see so many other colors. So, for as long as the genre will have me, I would be delighted to to work in it. Yeah. Just last question. Um, are you hoping that like, people, when they walk away from this movie, do they, they kind of know which reality it's in, or you... I, I, I mean, I think the, the, the ending is somewhat um, vague and obtuse, but I think that's, that's part of it. I like films that kind of resonate after you leave the theater, mm. where you're still thinking about it, going, and even I've had people... They, they go back and they're like, they want to know if like, there's a consistency in uh, which is an element in the film. And that's, that's, I think that's, that's what makes for the film. Yeah. Anyway, when I go and I'm like, I'm thinking about the movie long after yeah. it's over as opposed to, oh, that's over and, I, you know, there's movies that I forget about within five minutes. And hopefully my film isn't going to be one of them. So. Yeah. Is this possibly a world that you want to return back to, like a sequel? Or we well, talked about it. <laughs> originally it was developed as a TV pilot and certainly um, that's something that, it, instead of a sequel, I mean, I can see it, it, it could enlarge this world and it could become a TV series and that's something certainly I would be, and, and I know Paula would be interested in doing as well. Because there's there's more that we can do, and there's other ideas we have. So we're going to see we know we can explore, and you know beyond the end of the film, there's sort of ideas in our head as to where we go beyond uh, beyond that. So yeah. Okay, great. Thank you guys. Thank All right. you so Thank much. You very much. Thank you. And that was my media day adventures at Blood in the Snow for 2019. Thanks to Jen, Kelly, Kirk, and Carolyn for always being so warm and welcoming. It's not easy to organize a film festival, but it is always fun. They did such a good job this year. The lineup is fantastic. Sorry to you, the listener, if the sound wasn't as crisp. It's the hazards of being out of the uh, Gross Radio HQ and being on the road. You can follow my adventures on the road and often off the road, down with pants, at my pal Sammy for Instagram, my pal Sammy for Twitter, and my pal Sammy for Facebook. I'm Sam Yunin, and this has been my summer layer. Blood in the snow, yo.